So have you ever been thrown under the bus? I, I have been thrown under the bus. Um, uh, I, I didn't know it at the time, but a couple of years ago, uh, a friend of mine, uh, uh, someone who was once a friend of mine, um, a Facebook friend of mine, a friend of me on Facebook is like, oh, cool, I haven't heard of from this guy in a long time. Um, and uh, so I said yes, and uh, he sent me this uh, you know, 10 paragraphs of really apology for how he had thrown me under the bus in high school. And I didn't, I didn't realize it. Uh, but what he said is that basically you weren't cool enough. That I was a nerd and he was in band. And, and it was basically socially, socially awkward for, it was not, it was not advantageous to him to maintain this relationship. So we'd been friends from, from first grade all the way uh, through middle school. But when we got to high school, he had to make some decisions and so he threw me under the bus. Now, I, I have to say, honestly, I didn't realize it at the time. I wasn't hurt or anything, um, uh, partly because I was a nerd and didn't have re- well-developed social antenna. But honestly, it was because, probably because I figured I had kind of left him behind. As I had, as I had moved into more academic areas, he just couldn't cut it. And, <laughs> and so I just kind of moved on and left him uh, in, 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 the, in his shallowness. And, and it may sound to you like, well, uh, no wonder he, he blew me off because I was an arrogant, obnoxious jerk. And I was, and, and people tell me sometimes I still am. But, but I'm telling you the truth. He said that, you know, his recollection of the event is he cut me loose because I was a nerd. And not because I was an arrogant, obnoxious jerk, which, which would have been more understandable. But, um, but, uh, today, today nerds maybe have a little more prestige than they used to have. You know, today a nerd, you never know, the, the nerd down the block may, may, um, have, uh, really prime shares in a, in a company that's gonna have an IPO and he's gonna be a gazillionaire, right? So, today nerds don't have the, the same kind of social, um, uh, uh, Stigma, thank you, the stigma that they did in the 70s. In the 70s, when I was a nerd, it was before Matthew Broderick was a nerd in war games. So, so it was the bad old days, and nerds were nerds. In fact, we weren't nerds. We were the chess club. And, and that particularly bugged me because I've never been any good at chess. Um, so, so it was, it's true, there were some people that I hung out with who were, who were in the chess club, but I've never been any good at board games. And besides risk, or in today's nomenclature, I would say uh, settlers of Catan would be more accurate. But, but I was I was a nerd, and um, I, I tell you all this. The reason I'm kind of traipsing down memory lane here is because because I think the the social relationships you see in high school are clarifying in a way that the that the ones we we encounter as adults are not. Um, uh, we still have we still have cliques and and um, and we, we separate ourselves into tribes. We have castes and we have outcasts as adults, but we don't see them with the same clarity we do in high school. Uh, maybe because we don't take classes with them. You know, we have we, we separate ourselves by geographical. You know, we have we have uh, wealthier neighborhoods and poorer neighborhoods. We have we have um, uh, clubs we belong to. You know, maybe we belong to uh, the the country club or something. And our our chosen pastime is golf. And other people go to the racetrack and they're into NASCAR. So there's, there's ways where we have, we have, we still have those groupings, but they may not be as clear because we don't rub elbows as often as we used to when we were in high school. 
And um, the, the, the reason that um, I, I want to talk about these cliques uh, that, that you see so clearly in high school is because, because Jesus does something really remarkable in the lesson we look at today. He, he shows us something that is astonishingly easy for Jesus and astonishingly difficult for us. Jesus does two things in, in our lesson today that as we look at, we can say that's really kind of what makes Jesus different. Um, Jesus uh, uh, moves through those social circles with this ease that, that most of us cannot do. Most of us have difficulty moving across social boundaries the way Jesus does. Jesus never had any trouble that we perceive in Scripture. Jesus uh, uh, moved through circles that, that would have been really uh, staggering for people to move through in his era. He, he spoke with women, which today is not remarkable. And I would say one of the reasons it's not remarkable is because of Jesus. I think Jesus fundamentally changed how people relate to, to um, the opposite sex in our, in our culture. Jesus has really the, the prime mover in that area. Um, but Jesus talked to foreigners. We see encounters Jesus had with, with uh, Greeks and with Roman officers. We see Jesus not only talking with women and with foreigners, but he even talks with foreign women. Jesus, Jesus uh, cuts across all kinds of different boundaries uh, at, with such ease that, it's, that, it's, that it isn't even um, noticeable because it's the way he consistently behaves throughout the scriptures. The other thing, besides, besides moving across these boundaries, is when Jesus... Um, forms a relationship in whatever boundary he has crossed, whatever whatever circle he's now operating in, what we see Jesus do is demonstrate an amazing degree of loyalty to the people that he's formed a relationship. We never see Jesus throw anybody under the bus. Jesus has opportunities to kind of upgrade, to, to kind of shake off stigma that is associated with the people that he he hangs out with, and he never does. Jesus has the most tremendous loyalty. And so what I want to do is I want to look at this passage here, um, these few verses in Matthew. We read that Jesus is walking along. Last week we saw how Jesus has uh, returned to his hometown or uh, the, the place he lives, uh, Capernaum, uh, not Nazareth, if you remember the Christmas stories. At some point Jesus moved to Capernaum. So Jesus is walking along, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. Uh, the way that the tax system in in those days worked is there was really a, a collection of tolls, and so typically you'd put a, a toll wherever there was a choke point. So at the end of the dock where the fishermen came in, you might put a toll booth. And in fact, it's very likely Matthew's toll booth was the one that uh, the fishermen that Jesus hung out with um, that they would have been familiar with Matthew from operating that toll booth. But wherever it was, some choke point where commerce went by and it was a great opportunity to to get a little bit as people walked by. So so uh, Matthew operates a toll booth and Jesus calls him. And we say, okay, that's that's interesting. Jesus calls the tax collector. But we miss the significance of this because for us tax taxes are just something you you do. You may not like them but but you pay your taxes and it's not a big deal. In in the Roman Empire the way that those, those toll booths operated was as a franchise. You bought a concession. You bought an exclusive right to squeeze people when they walked through this territory. And so what you did is you paid your money up front to Rome. Rome got its money. They supplied you with a couple of soldiers so that no one would get, would, would cause you any trouble. 
And then you could squeeze people as they went by. And your goal was not to get to the end of the year and say, gee, I wonder if I'm going to break even. No, your goal was to get to the end of March and say, I have now broken even. So you'd squeeze people as hard as you could. And so that meant that people hated tax collectors for two reasons. First of all, because they did collaborate with the foreign empire that was running the country. That was one reason. But the other reason is they cheated you. They cheated you like crazy. So when you read this, a better way, let me just give you a different way of hearing this. So uh, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew leaning against the wall just outside the 1,000 foot from the elementary school sign. Because at lunchtime, Matthew was going to go sell drugs to the elementary kids. Okay, that's the social stigma that is associated with the tax collectors. Picture someone who sells drugs, okay, to, to elementary school kids. That's what we're talking about here. Okay, and he, Jesus, said, follow me. And he got up and followed him. So whatever it was that Matthew found enjoyable or unenjoyable about his life, he decided that Jesus was a better life to have, so he does. Um, he he uh, follows him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, uh, Matthew kind of cuts forward. We, we find out more about the, this dinner in two of the other uh, gospel accounts. Um, there's there's uh, four gospel accounts, four biographies of Jesus in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Mark and, and Luke, we find that actually this party was at Matthew's house, that, that Matthew, who also goes by the name Levi, throws a party to celebrate the fact that he has he has changed his relationship, that, that there was somebody who didn't spit on the floor in front of him, but instead called him to be a um, to be a disciple. And so he throws a party, and in Luke's gospel we read that it is a it is a great banquet um, and a large crowd shows up. The problem is uh who is in the crowd? Because you see, if you're a drug dealer, if you're a tax collector in those days, the only people who would come to your party, the only people who would be caught dead at your party, are other tax collectors and other notorious sinners, people who've got nothing to lose by associating with you. So it's a large crowd at this party, but they're all people um, who have an ethical ethical um, a cloud that they operate under. And so they're at this party, and Jesus is the only person there who doesn't operate under an ethical cloud. Jesus is the only person who's not a notorious tax collector or sinner. And this raises for me the question, where are the disciples? Are the disciples with Jesus there at the banquet or the outside? Because what we read next is the Pharisees, when they saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, we know one thing about Pharisees. They were not at this party. They wouldn't have, they would absolutely not have been caught dead at this party. They looked down their noses at at people who were perfectly fine, upstanding members of, of society just because they didn't tithe enough or they didn't they didn't do all the right rituals. So the Pharisees wouldn't would not have been on that on the same side of the street probably. And so they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So that makes me wonder where are the disciples? Are they are they shouting through the window at the disciples who are inside? Or are the disciples people like James and John and Peter and Andrew and Philip, people who are fishermen, who have been handing over a portion of their catch every day for the past umpteen years to people like Matthew. Are they saying, you know, 
I'm still not 100% on board with this whole Matthew thing, joining the group. And are they basically boycotting this party out in the street? And that's where the Pharisees find them. I don't know. He doesn't tell us. But Jesus hears this question, and he answers for them. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says, who do you call a doctor? Who calls a doctor? Sick people. People don't need a doctor. They don't call a doctor. He says, that's who I have come to save. Not righteous people, not people who don't need a doctor, but people who do. And then with the 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 genius that makes um, high school sometimes very painful, he has the perfect put down. He, uh, he has the cutting remark that gets right at what it is the Pharisees pride themselves in. Jesus says, go and study what this means. And then he quotes the scripture, I desire not a sacrifice. Uh, they know what that means, or they think they do. But Jesus tells them uh, that, that go and become a disciple. You, you have no knowledge whatsoever of what the scriptures are saying. So you need to start from scratch. You need to become a disciple. You need to go study what it means I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So, two observations. Jesus Jesus uh, demonstrates here that he is um, willing to cut across every social boundary, um, not just not just women, not just foreigners, not just foreign women, but the most ethically challenged people in the world. Jesus has no difficulty moving right into that circle, and doing so with people who it cannot possibly benefit him to be seen with. So Jesus demonstrates that there's nobody who is unloved in his sight. It's interesting to me that he doesn't defend the tax collection system. He only defends the tax collectors. He says, who needs a doctor? The other thing we see here is that Jesus never throws anybody under the bus. The Pharisees are talking to his disciples because they know that this is a ploy that works. When you've got people who are who are maybe distancing themselves, maybe they're across the street, maybe they're just out in the yard, uh, maybe they're just kind of on one side of the room. But whatever it is, the Pharisees see the opportunity to peel the disciples away, to say, you know what, you're not doing your reputation any good at all here. Why does your teacher do that? They don't say, why do you do that? They're giving them an opportunity. They're saying, look, we know you're good people. You wouldn't, you wouldn't hang out with people like that. Why does your teacher do that? Usually, that works with people. It's easy to peel people apart, to, to get people to throw people under the bus. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus has every opportunity to throw people under the bus, and he never does. So the question, I guess, for us is, who are today's tax collectors? Uh, you know, I, I've, I've used the example of, of drug dealers, but, but who else? Who else? Who else does it do our reputation no good to be seen with? Who is it that they may be fun people, but I'm not sure I want to have them at the party? Because you know what? It just wouldn't help me if people knew I hung out with people like that. Who would it cause my reputation to suffer if I hung out with them? See, Jesus 
came for people like that. Jesus came for people who would do his reputation no good at all. It's interesting to me that we never hear the disciples answer. We hear Jesus answer on their behalf. The Pharisees ask the question of the disciples, but we never hear their answer. And I think that that's because this is a perpetual question for Jesus' disciples. It's a question that the disciples are always being asked. Is, why does your teacher do that? And it gives us the opportunity to say, I have no idea why he does that. Or to say, I don't know, but he sees something in them. And so I want to know. I want to get to know. I want to understand them better. I want to understand what it is Jesus sees in them. Whose party are we willing to go to? And if we go there, are we willing to be loyal to the people we find there? Jesus went to Matthew's Matthew's banquet and he did it when he couldn't, it couldn't possibly benefit his reputation. But Jesus gave his own banquet one day and he invited a bunch of people to it that it did his reputation no good to bring there. And he encourages us, in fact, he commands us to do the same thing in memory of that. To remember that everybody who's invited to Jesus' banquet is not someone that his reputation is going to be improved by. But he keeps inviting us. And in a few minutes, we're going to have a re-celebration of that banquet. And so if you're thinking, you know, I'm not doing Jesus any good by showing up at this banquet. If you think people will look at me and think ill of Jesus, that's exactly who he hopes will come to this banquet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for... We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he shows us that it is possible to do the things we find so difficult, to move across social boundaries, to to have relationships with people who aren't like us, people who um, call our own morals or good judgment into, into question. Um, we pray, Lord, you'd help us to learn from Jesus that there's nobody, nobody on earth that you don't love. Help us to, to see them with your eyes and learn to love them. And Lord, we pray that you would also teach us to learn from Jesus' loyalty. That when Jesus had opportunities to cut and run, to throw people under the bus, instead, he stood up for them. He went to the cross for us. And we pray, Lord, you teach us to be loyal like Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.